0: Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Today we are gathered here to talk about <laughs> the return of the king. That's right. Andy's back. Yeah, Andy's back. Uh, a- the once and future king of man. Advance Wars 1 plus 2 reboot camp has finally been released after like I don't know. It got it got announced to be released, I think, last year and then didn't come out and then got delayed almost an entire year. And here we are now.
1: Yeah, it's out. It's it's one of those things where like the delay was so long that I started to like get worried about it or like start to worry how it could be. Yeah, because I I love I love Advance Wars, especially the first two games. And I was also kind of like not completely sold at the prospect of a remake because I I just sort of just wanted them to be ported. I feel (laughs) like those those two games are like so perfect in their vibe and atmosphere and the art style. It feels so tethered to the Game Boy Advance as well that I'm like, I don't know if I want this to be like... Redone. You That's know what the mean? funny
0: thing about the one yeah. year gap between when it was supposed to come out and now is that yeah. also Nintendo announced the Game Boy Advance library for right. Nintendo Online. So the obvious move is to just drop those games on there and not spend as much money as you did to, to remake the whole thing from the ground up. But yeah, yeah.
1: I knew I was going to get this game because I, I just needed to know. But I also like kind of was gearing up for maybe being disappointed. And I, I think also this is the kind of game that just like I didn't see like a lot of vitriol, but I just feel like there was this sort of building resentment towards is it weirdly at least from like you know big fans of the series that always kind of happens to stuff like this but i was just sort of like scared
0: I don't know. Something, something fearful in the air. That's funny because like so going back to you and I doing the Game Boy Advance episode uh, yeah. what was that, two seasons ago, I guess at this point, you are the big Advance Wars fan of the two of us. I think I I was of the two of us. I was the one vying to not include it on our top five. Yeah, it was a Steven game. It was definitely a Steven game. So you, you still liked it, but it, it just didn't. Yeah, click I like way. it. And yeah. look, I think it, uh, like you were kind of saying earlier, I mean, it, it has some of the best art on anything re- released on <laughs> Game Boy Advance. Like, it is, like, some of the most beautiful art. And it seems weird to say, like, okay, we're just going to do away with this, like, really beautiful pixel art and great character design all this stuff to kind of make a like 3D made out of clay models kind of vibe uh, for this remake. But that having been said, when they announced the remake, I actually got more excited to play this than I was to play those games originally on the Game Boy Advance in a weird way. Like I, I think you and I, maybe because of our different love for this game, came at it from completely different places where I was like, yes, I, I am excited about this remake. I do want to play this on my Nintendo Switch. I think this is going to be really fun. And I, I that has never wavered for me. I've just been like yeah. kind of excited about it simmeringly for a while um <laughs> i i didn't think i was gonna pick it up though like i was excited about the idea of them remaking it but i didn't think i was gonna pick it up and then
1: you kept being like i hope you have fun with it Stephen." yeah, like, yeah. this it sounds like it's a
0: great thing for you yeah exactly and i did i did i did pick it up and i've been playing it and um i'll i'll say this i like it a lot i think it's really good but i'm, I'm more yeah, curious too. to hear about your feeling about it
1: yeah so I think Advance Wars is an interesting series because I feel like on the Game Boy Advance, so you, you mentioned the the presentation of it. I really think we just recorded our Dreamcast prep episode with Chris Plant, who said something that has stuck with me where he said that Jet Set Radio has sort of become shorthand for like Dreamcast vibes and energy. Yeah. And I feel like Advance Wars could be the same for Game Boy Advance, just in terms of the aesthetic and mm. the atmosphere. Like it's one of those games you just think of, if you have any attachment to the Game Boy Advance. And I I have, like... I recognize that I have, like, a lot of nostalgia for those first two games. Like, I I have vivid memories of, like, playing my Game Boy Advance outside in summer camp and, like, barely able to see the screen because of the sun or using that terrible steampunk, like, glasses accessory to magnify the screen with the light bulb on it. And Advance Wars was maybe my first tactics game. I'm not sure if it predates uh starcraft or not but regardless like i think it was the first tactics game that like really clicked for me as a kid right and like i remember in our game boy advance episode going back to it i was now that i've been fully you know fire emblemified <laughs> uh i was like oh it'll be, it'll be cute to go back to advanced wars and see like what a tactics game for babies is like and then i'm like this is actually harder than blazing blade yeah, yeah. it's it's uh it's by intelligent systems the original it's worth mentioning right Right. Same team that makes Fire Emblem same team and in that era i feel like at least in the u.s because that was the first time the u.s got a fire emblem game localized was blazing blade yeah um and that was also when the first advanced wars came out so like in that time it felt like the series were really like elder scrolls fallout like they're on the same
0: level of attention and production yeah. also something i didn't know when we recorded that that episode way back when is that this is also technically the first time one of these games has been localized because there was a famicom wars also that right was in the same lineage so So it's interesting that intelligent systems has always had these like dueling strategy games that I I thought were completely disconnected for the longest time. It's like, oh, no, they're (laughs) by the same team. Oh, and they've both existed since the Famicom. (laughs) What a (laughs) a bizarre thing for Nintendo to keep greenlighting both series over and over again like that. Yeah, but it was kind of sad to see Advance Wars like kind of lose its way, especially like
1: accidentally seeing that history play out with our console episodes, like playing the first two games and then playing the two on the DS. Like... I know a lot of people who consider Dual Strike to be like the best of the series. Yeah. And maybe mechanically that's true, but like the main character said weak sauce at one point, and that just did it for me. Where I'm like, I don't like this as much. <laughs> yeah. I just, there's something about this that feels like it's kind of desperate or like it's trying to be like really cool and just like not working in mm. a way that like sort of the innocent, almost like Pokemon red tone of the first two games like works way better for me. Yeah. And then Days of Ruin was like, I, I could see the logic because I think at that point Fire Emblem might have been. And like more successful and that game is trying to be more like Fire Emblem. Like it's it's a heavier story. Units can level up. There's some really cool ideas mechanically, but I just really, I miss the atmosphere of the first two games and yeah. I kind of learned like as much as all of these games are really strong on a mechanical level, I, I'm not playing it solely for the tactics. I'm playing it for just like everything about it. Like the sort of transportive elements of the music and the characters and like the sort of undercurrent of the first two games was sort of this Feeling that it wasn't really a real war. It was just sort of like these weird characters playing Risk. Yeah. Um, and totally. it's kind of funny to see them fully lean into that and in this remake. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think like I bring all that up not to debase the later games of the series. But I think if you look at that, there really was a need if they, if they were going to bring this series back in any way, there was a need to sort of like rejuvenate the series in some capacity, like bring new players in, you know, give it a shot to maybe come back I mean there's no coincidence the title is reboot camp i, th- I think that's the intention you know yeah. is like maybe we can reboot this but also give like longtime fans like a fun way to revisit the first two games
0: yeah it's also a new team it's by it's by yeah. the developer way forward and I, I feel like at, at least what i've seen in in terms of uh whispers online is like yeah like they want to make a another new advance wars and and it would you know this is kind of like a test run for that in a lot of ways even down to the art style um yeah which is exciting that's an exciting yeah. prospect to me yeah totally so i i'm still pretty
1: early on i played the first like six missions i just got to the point where you meet eagle and i'll say this i i When they announced it, I was initially kind of torn on whether or not I liked the art style. I I really love it. Like seeing it in the game, this works way better for me. I think because like the character design specifically, the way the characters are animated and how expressive they are. One of my favorite things about the first game was like seeing the character's reaction to how a battle goes. Mm -hmm. So like you would see the, the units fight each other and then you would see like Andy like either sweating, nervous, or, like, laughing because he won. And they really, like, double down on that. Like, seeing them kind of be animated in real time is really fun. And there's just, like, a lot of... It feels that there's a lot of love put into this game. Like it, like I was I was a little bit worried it was just going to be like, here's the other two games with like a new batch of paint. And I don't know how the development went, but it just feels like the people who made this game like have a reverence for the original. Yeah. And I now kind of appreciate that it is it is a different style. Like it is going for a different energy and, and the the sort of Saturday morning cartoon version of the characters and the animation meshes really well with the sort of new toy box aesthetic for the actual tactics i mean like you know it's again it's hard to compare to the pixel art in the original like seeing the the backgrounds like when units fight it's it's hard to match that yeah so like if you were to show if you were to like have an angry tweet where you put them side by side like i get that the Pixar looks better in that direct comparison. But I think the toy box aesthetic works for the mood they're trying to capture in this game. Yeah. And I also really am impressed by the way, like, the way combat is animated and the sound effects and the use of the HD rumble. Plus, (laughs) I think the way they uh, show how the units are navigating different environments. I really, like, it's really cool to see, like, what fighting on top of a mountain versus, like, in a body of water or, like, if Mm -hmm. it's snowing out. Like, it, it feels exciting to see like what could happen in in
0: these new different parts of the map yeah i think i think that i think toy boxes is, is the best way of putting it as, as you already have it, it, it does feel like taking your toys and kind of smashing them against each other in every which way you possibly can think of uh which is really fun it, it allows i think it allows the player to be expressive by just seeing what's possible in in the space which is really exciting yeah I, I love it
1: there's also local multiplayer which i'm very excited about and there's online which feels a little bit like nintendo ds online where it's like if you are right next to your best friend, you can play online. And it's like, uh, how does this work exactly? Wait, like you and I can't play online. We have to be in the same room and online. Maybe I misunderstood it, but I think one of us has to like make it's only with friends, I think. Mm. So like you have to make a room and then I join it or something like that. Mm. We should give it a shot and then maybe I'll talk about it more. I I, I might have missed something big. I was kind of looking forward to having just like random matches online. And yeah. I don't know if that's possible, but maybe I missed something big. So I'll I'll investigate again. Interesting yeah but there is also the ability to make your own maps and i feel like that's also huge like the idea of of making a map and then playing that together online sounds really exciting yeah and also play like i like the i like the idea that this game has couch co-op which i could see like devolving into ending friendships very quickly <laughs> but um that's really exciting to me and that's I think there was a way to probably link up in the original game, like with one of those, you know, link cables or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never really did that. It was always kind of a solitary experience for me. So, yeah, the idea of making this game like more social and like choosing which character I want to play as specifically is is, is a really fun prospect. Yeah. So we should do that someday.
0: Yeah. I will say for my piece, I... I think I'm enjoying it more than the Game Boy Advance release and I I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out why that is really. I think honestly a big part of it and this might have just been solved by putting it on the Nintendo Switch online collection with the Game Boy Advance to be clear, but I I think a big piece of it for me is that I've been playing it mostly on the television and I think yeah. I think almost having my TV be like a war table where I get I can very easily and visually see the entirety of the play space all at once allows for the strategy to come a little bit more naturally to me than it did on the very small screen in the Game Boy Advance. That said, as you and I have said many, many times, uh especially while we were doing the Game Boy Advance episode, Game Boy Advance Pixel art looks amazing, even blown up on a giant TV. Like you could yeah. you could take, <laughs> I, I feel like Minish Cap is the best example, it's the one that everybody points to and f- for good reason. But like yeah. if you haven't tried that, go boot up Minish Cap on your television, the biggest TV you own, and it will still look absolutely impeccable and like some of the best pixel art you've ever seen in your life. It is that detailed. Advanced Wars is on that same strata for me. It's like Minish Cap, Advanced Wars like the third generation of Pokemon games are all like these just look ridiculously good at all sizes. That having been said, because of the actual like pixel density and resolution of the Game Boy Advance, it means I think that there is less visible on screen at any given time. And Advance Wars Reboot Camp zooming that out a little bit, I think does make it a little bit easier for me to parse because I have found these games to be and and I think I said as much on on our episode about it, but I, I found those games to be difficult to the point that the dissonance between like the fun Jovial art and the actual combat and the difficulty of the mechanics (laughs) was a little bit too much for me. Like that, that skewed a little bit out of the realm of where I was comfortable with. It was why I I didn't love them, but it was why I kind of cling to the DS ones a little bit more because actually making those games darker brought it more in line with the difficulty of the gameplay for me. And I was like, that makes sense. There's a little bit more of a cohesion here between art and narrative and gameplay, but something about the like, hyper 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 like super rounded very very cute art the like 3d guys jumping on top of the cities and stuff like it all is just clicking for me a lot more and i I feel like i'm almost getting like a, a a clairvoyant view into the mind of somebody who really loved the game boy advance one via this re-release which i think is kind of what you want right that's like almost part of the ideal of a re-release and a remaster like this
1: it's also really cool that they included the first two games because advanced wars 2 for context it it kind of feels like golden sun 2 where it's like i don't have the concrete data for this i know for golden sun like those were supposed to be one game right but there just wasn't enough space and it kind of feels the same for advanced wars like advanced wars 2 is like you remember exactly where we left off right okay cool (laughs) it's like starts
0: like it's not even a sequel it's like the next day I think it's notable that when you boot this game up when you go to select the campaign quote unquote it just doesn't let you pick the second game even though the game itself is advertised as hey this is one and two in one collection you can't start with two the game makes you play through all of one before you can even start two And I'm really I'm actually really excited to get to two in this remake
1: specifically because two two is a little darker and I'm curious to see how they balance that. Mm -hmm. It's not as dark as Days of Ruin, but like it's basically where the sort of big bad enters the the scene yeah like if you just look at the box art of every advance Wars game you can see the like scale of like (laughs) the story getting a little heavier right but uh the thing about advance Wars 2 is that like it does do a lot to refine the gameplay of the first game but like i think they add a system i'm pretty sure this was new in 2 but there's a system where like you can wait to use your co power to make it more powerful like even just that one simple switch made the matches way more interesting Mm. and there's a lot more i think the best tactics games present you with a lot of choice every turn right and you're like but also like risk rewards like i could use my power now or i could like wait another turn and then and use a stronger version of it
0: really get everyone where i need them to be to maximize
1: this yeah maybe next turn is where i like lose everything so maybe it's better to do it now (laughs) so yeah i love that um there were some shortcomings in the second game like for whatever reason they didn't and this sounds nitpicky but i think it It does do a lot to sort of um, damage the vibe because, you know, the first game has those animated moments of character when battles go mm-hmm. well or go poorly for whatever reason in the second game they just didn't do that they just like had the same face the whole time mm. and that always bugged me so like even even just for the prospect of seeing the characters animate in the story of two i'm very excited about and i think like the biggest thing for me to sort of like defend the reason that this game like should exist is not only just like the reverence the team clearly has for advanced wars but i do think the games will benefit from being put together kind of like legendary edition like they there was just a need to have like all three Mass Effect games with all DLC in one place. I do think having Advanced Wars One and Two like be a singular piece is, is was a really smart move.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think specifically the the bird's eye view of saying. Okay, the goal is to take these two games and smash them into one, I think allows for a little bit more cohesion across the entire thing is what you're saying. Right. Like that feels to me like, you know, it's a business decision that we will never be made privy of. Like we will never actually know the inside reasoning behind this. But that decision made for this game being this great, but also allows for. An open door to sequels via WayForward, like, then it's worth it to me. You know, like, if we have to have this to get a new Advance Wars, then it's worth not putting Advance Wars 1 and 2 on the Game Boy Advance collection, in my eyes. Although I would want both, to be clear. I would want both, but I, I think I, I've been
1: really sold on this remake. I, I think yeah. I went in kind of skeptical, and I, I've... You know, on one hand, it has really good bones, so it's like they, they couldn't really mess it up unless they, like... <laughs> change too much of the original yeah but i i think it does feel very distinct to itself i just hope that the original games become more available mm-hmm. so but yeah I, i'm really impressed by it i think it's it's probably the best way to get into the series and i really hope that this you know means that we might see more of this series down the road that would be really exciting to have it come back
0: that's a good point to bring up to you because i feel like it's definitely worth acknowledging for the two of us that we're coming at this from the perspectives of people who had the Game Boy Advance cartridge and do have like a reverence for the original game but there is a piece of me thinking about like there is a kid who is 10 years old right now who is getting this and this is their first experience with Advance Wars and they've never heard of it before right now and they're having the exact same feeling that you and I had when we played it when we were 10 you know like that's exciting to me
1: yeah and that's so cool I, I think making a-, a new entry point and bring this series back because I do think like What I would hope is that they would make a sequel continuing in this kind of style. Yeah. Uh, You know, maybe double down on the multiplayer part. of it. I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities, especially with like user made content that that is really exciting to me. Right. I just hope the online can back it up in some way. Advance Wars maker. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, that's games that like give you the tools to be creative within the systems that can be so inspiring to so many people. And We we actually have gotten cool games out of that. I mean, like the the biggest example I could think of off the top of my head is like, the modding scene of Warcraft 3 and then getting Dota basically yeah you know not that I think something as dramatic would happen with like advanced wars levels (laughs) but still it's like to me like those kind of tools existing is is a really cool thing and can really like make game design feel more approachable because I think when we were growing up the idea of like making a game felt so
0: like unbelievable like who on earth is doing this you know i'm imagining 15 years from now when for some reason pachinko is the biggest game on earth and everyone is like <laughs> where did this come from was it the pachinko machines in arcades no it was actually the uh, level creator in the advance wars sequel <laughs> from way forward that for some reason somebody just made a pachinko machine inside advance wars and uh you know next thing you know here we are someone made a really good match three in advance wars <laughs> Konami's the biggest just, company on earth yeah, now that's <laughs> all we do now
1: I got three maxes in a row, but anyway, yeah, it's it's really good. I'm I'm really happy just to like be back in this place, and I'm excited to see more of it. Yeah. I'm still really early on, so
0: look, I don't want to fuck you up, Stephen, but uh, it looks amazing on the OLED Switch screen. <laughs> <laughs> it is like just the vibrancy of yeah, right. all of the color choices pop so beautifully on that screen. I really hope they announce a new <laughs> Switch soon, so you can experience that.
1: So my Switch, I don't know if this is a common issue, but for whatever reason, it's not like a deal breaker, but the edges of the screen have like a yellowish hue for yeah, some reason. Yeah. And it's only really noticeable if there's like a white background, but like it's like really noticeable if if the background isn't like a darker color. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely in the market for like a better screen. And I, I'm like, I know the minute I buy an OLED, the the Switch Pro is gonna come out. Yeah. You know? Of course. So I'm just like I think if they announce if we don't have any news this year, I'll get an
0: OLED. That's kind of my thing. It's like if we don't hear anything this year. Yeah, truly. Even if you need to sell it the next month because then they announce the Switch Pro. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, th- I think it'd be worth it for you. Yeah.
1: But I mean, I usually play a dock. So it's not like urgent. But, uh, you know, why why settle for a yellow hue when yeah. you can have a nice OLED screen?
0: Totally. I, yeah, I've been I've been playing handheld a little bit more uh, ever since getting the OLED on and say I've been playing handheld more in general. But I've been playing handheld a little bit more recently because I've still playing final fantasy 12 and it's very much my like before bed game now but uh i i did throw on advanced wars for like a hot second just to see what it looked like because i i kept thinking to myself like that probably looks really good right and guess what it does also i have to say i love the music too i mean i was that was another thing i was nervous
1: about because i'm like Don't touch this too much. The original score is like that GBA baseline is like the best shit ever. But they did a great job. I mean, they like tease you with Andy's theme because it's like the best song in the game. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, shit here. There are different versions of it based on how the battle is going. You guys are too much. Thank you for this.
0: I will say, just to double back, the one of the things that I have noticed uh, now that, you know, we are however many years into the Switch lifecycle, I guess it was 2017, so we're, I don't know, six years in. Jesus. Both of my Pro controllers are starting to fail now because yeah. I, I got them like right when they came out like i got both i got two pro controllers like right when the switch came out and it came out alongside the pro controller i bought two of them because i loved the wii u pro controller i was like a huge proponent of the wii u pro controller i thought it was like one of the best controllers ever made it had the battery so, do you know about this the, the <laughs> wii u pro controller had the best battery life of any controller i've ever seen specifically because nintendo had so many leftover 3ds batteries that they just started putting them in the wii u pro controller so, Oh wow so it was literally the battery they used to power two screens one of which was 3d and that entire console was just being used to power a controller so it would last like kindle levels of time <laughs> it would be like i i would forget to charge it for like like five weeks that's my biggest
1: complaint with the ps5 controller Like i love what it's doing in terms of hardware yeah. but it, it lasts
0: like i have i have to often like pause whatever I'm playing to just let it charge. Yes. Me too. Uh, Which is kind of the Yeah, the biggest fumble of all time was that uh like two hundred dollar version of the controller. They made the DualSense edge having worse battery life. That was like (laughs) literally the only the only thing they needed to fix if they were like, yeah, the DualSense Edge, it's our new high end pro controller. It is completely the same, except it has better battery life. I would have bought it like that oh, yeah. would have been a no brainer. That's the only thing I needed. Everything else is cool. Like, I love everything else about it. It seems really great. But the fact that it has worse battery life than the regular Edge non-starter for me can't do it. Yeah. Anyway, my 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 Switch Pro controllers, both of them have drift in the joysticks now. It's like kind of wild that, that hasn't been resolved, especially considering the fucking Dreamcast controller, which I'm holding and shaking at the camera right now has the hall effect sticks that are like becoming like the hot new shit now the dreamcast had it in 1999 (laughs) they fixed this already can i say something really uh bold and (laughs) controversial yeah please
1: i love the dreamcast controller so our dreamcasts have arrived yeah Uh, we have them we've been playing them and i've been playing uh, a game on it i'll talk about later but um i was playing a fighting game on the dreamcast which you know fighting games are that's the ultimate test of the controller right that is like if you can play a fighting game on a controller and have a good time, then you know it's a good controller. I switched to a different system and I I was like, what is this fraud in my hands? Like, what is this like imposter? It doesn't have, I love the feel and the impact of like the weird, like, it's, it's, I I really, I, I always thought the Dreamcast controller was like amongst the the clowns of the class like (laughs) N 64 like all these is terrible overly ambitious but not thought about in hand controllers Mm. but i think the dreamcast controller not only has cool stuff in it like the vmu which we'll talk more about one day but like i just think it feels good to play on especially fighting games that's interesting um i imagine that was a thought given the like ties to the arcade you know arcade games need to play well on that controller yeah but i just it feels like everything i do feels like it has a lot of weight to it which i like
0: i have been surprised i i wouldn't say i i found the same reverence for that you have yet maybe i will later maybe when i start getting into fighting games for real or like if i get really into some of the racing games on there um but i have found in the stuff that i have played so far that it is surprisingly comfortable in a way yeah. in a way that doesn't look like it should be and you know what the biggest thing for me is i'm just like i'm staring at it right now it's like my biggest pet peeve about the controller over everything like the size is weird the button placements weird. like everything about the dreamcast controller is weird the thing that drives me up a wall though is that the the plug is on the bottom of it
1: yes that's the old that i feel like that was the the fatal flaw if the wire was on top
0: everyone would be like yeah best controller of all time maybe yeah and and again it has the hall effect analog stick right which means uh if you, if you don't know what the hall effect stick is the joy-con drift that you've been hearing about that is also prevalent in like the xbox Uh, elite controller and also the dual sense edge that is because of the the friction of using the analog sticks and it can it can wear away some of the components inside the analog sticks eventually leading to drift in in analog sticks the hall effect stick Uh, which is becoming popular again. Like you could buy, uh, there's a company called Gilly Kit making Hall Effect sticks that you can install into your Joy-Cons, which is wild. But the idea is that it's essentially uh, an analog stick floating on a bunch of magnets with a bunch of like magnetic capacitors under it, which is registering movement. But because things aren't actually touching at all, there is no friction between it. It means its shelf life is like 100 years (laughs) or something. Like the the numbers are wild by comparison, but it's just amazing that the Dreamcast had it in 1999 and then everyone bailed on it specifically as a cost-cutting measure Hall of X6 are more expensive than not uh, is is what I found but still I mean the dream like you and I have these dreamcasts you know that are from either the late 90s or the early 2000s and these controllers still work miraculous
1: yeah I turned it on and I had to change the date of the console which which was tragic it was set <laughs> to 1998 and I'm like eh, close yeah um, what would be what is your favorite controller of all time What's what's the number one my favorite controller of
0: all time yeah this this is going to be a hot take, especially considering I just dunked on it. But it's it's the uh, Switch Pro controller. Oh, interesting. Of all time. Wow. wow. It, it, it wow. is actually my favorite controller. I think it is the most comfortable controller. I use it like even if I'm playing stuff on my computer, I will plug in the Switch Pro controller. I just I think they're I think it is so comfortable. The, the close second for me is the Xbox Elite too got which just because of the utility of it like the fact that i can have the uh the back paddles and like map one of them to screenshots because if you've listened to the show long enough you know i'm obsessed with photo (laughs) mode but even outside of that like having the paddles to have like the a and b buttons on the back i find is super helpful or if i'm playing like elden ring or dark souls or something using that for like rolling and backstepping is uh i am sorry to say this it's a game changer (laughs) <laughs> what
1: about you i do also like the switch pro controller i i thankfully haven't had it drift yet knock on wood uh, i have gone through like three sets of joy cons at this point they do repair them for free but like there's no chance it won't happen again or there's a chance it will still happen again anyway Yeah, exactly so like it's not really permanent but um i would say my favorite is gamecube i think that's my number
0: one wow that that is also a hot take
1: yeah i i think i like controllers that go for it i think the gamecube and the dreamcast both like the shoulder buttons have a very like
0: deep click. Yeah the the analog uh con- the analog triggers on that thing are hard to beat. Yeah. They both look silly, but then you get it when you play them. Yeah.
1: And I feel like that's a beautiful arc. You know, yeah. I wanna I wanna go in laughing at something and then
0: walk out feeling in love. You know what I wish was my favorite again? It's just to bring this up a second time. It, the nunchuck. N- yeah, is the nunchuck is the, the <laughs> remote and the nunchuck is uh the the dual the dual sense. I wish that the Dual Sense was my favorite. Oh, the PS Five. I, I love, yeah, I love the tech in that thing. The haptic feedback on everything, and and then speaking of like really incredible trigger feel, like the stuff with like Horizon, you know, when you're pulling back the bow and you could like feel the weight. Yeah, Ratchet and Clank. Yeah, or Ratchet yeah. and Clank is a great example. Or, or um, what was the other Returnal? Like really fucked me up. Like the the feel of that is amazing. It's just the battery life is awful and. The, the secondary thing for me that really rubs me the wrong way for some reason is just I, d- I don't like the materials it's made out of. Like, I think the material doesn't feel as good in the hand and I would rather be using a different thing. Um, but the yeah. dual sense, I think like if we were just to talk specs... I think the dual sense is like where controllers should be. And and even I remember when the PS5 came out, Phil Spencer, who's the head of the Xbox division over at Microsoft, was like, yeah, this is like the best controller ever made. It's so interesting. And we want to make something like this. And I'm just waiting for that. Like, I want that to happen. I want an Xbox controller with that stuff in it. Playing the, uh, what was it called? Astro's Playroom. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, that that game is in some ways a tech demo I mean many ways it is but like it's like one of the best tech demos ever yeah, basically pretty much uh, but it shows the capability of that controller in a way that feels really exciting yeah
0: it's a yeah. It's amazing that that entire game exists to get you
1: excited about the, the controller you know and it remains I think the best use of it still which I kind of understand like not every game is going to be made with that controller in mind yeah so it really is just the first party stuff but even then like I don't think God of War really used that much of it I don't even remember God of War using yeah. it yeah yeah, I'm sure it did but I don't remember it I remember Ratchet and Clank a character cracking their knuckles and feeling that in the controller and being <laughs> like you didn't, have to, you didn't have to do that like that was that was a bit
0: of a flex yeah that's so um, funny or like the, they typed on the keyboard and it was like Ugh. speaking of that though in in I don't know if you noticed this but in the Advance Wars reboot camp opening cutscene nice, circling back yeah they they have uh, the HD rumble stuff in the cutscene so like one of the first things that happens when you boot the game up is you see Andy like using his wrench on, uh, on a gear um, and as he using the wrench you can feel it in your hands which is like such a weird touch to add yeah it, it is like it is the most the switches use the rumble in a long time to
1: great effect too like especially like when units get defeated in the game they go like boing, like they just like explode off the screen yeah and it's, you, it, it. you can feel the impact of it yeah yeah how many ice cubes are in this joy
0: con steven <laughs>
1: Um anyway, Advance Wars One Plus Two Reboot Camp is wonderful. Uh, i maybe we'll talk about it again once we get further in. I'd love to talk about it again at least when I get to two, then that might be a fun conversation to have.
0: Yeah, I, I yeah. would be curious to hear about that. I don't I would like to say that I would hit that. I don't know if I will. Um, but if you do, I I would like to hear about it.
1: Oh, it's also worth noting there's two difficulties. There's casual and classic, which is sort of like a nod to fire emblem, it feels like. Mm. But there's no permadeath because you're not you have nameless, faceless units other than the commanding officer. Yeah. But I think with that that means from what I've been told is that classic is like the original Game Boy Advance difficulty which I've been playing on mm. and it is tough I streamed this for a bit I, there were some technical issues with the stream so I don't know if it's going to be available or not but I was just like chatting and having fun that I was oh wait I lost three turns ago and didn't even
0: realize <laughs> it. Like, <I'm> just, <laughs> I'm just, like
1: soaking in the the fun colors and characters yeah. and I'm like oh wait a minute I don't have enough units to seal this victory <laughs> oh no yeah, it's it's tough. I think it's tough in a way that at least for me, I've always like been really like in awe of of the design of these games. Like I, I think I mentioned in the Game Boy Advance episode, like they don't they they very smartly don't give you the ability to like you eventually get um bases where you can spend money to make new units, kind of like an RTS, but the first like three or four maps don't let you do that. They just give you like, okay, here's like three infantry and a tank. Yeah. And you have to figure out how to win with just those units. And to me, that showed like impeccable confidence and knowledge of their own systems. They're like, we know you can make it work with these units, but you have to make it work in a specific way. Yes. And even when you do have the ability to like, I I get scared of levels that give me too much power because I know they're going to be brutal. Like if I'm I'm given an airport, I'm like, shit, I might as well just go outside (laughs) and not even play video games anymore. Yeah. Because like what they, what they expect of me, if they give me this much is going to be wild. That is,
0: uh, yeah. Yeah, not, not to continue this conversation too much longer because i feel like we're wrapping up but why not uh yeah, I, yeah. I i feel like that's kind of my pushback with advanced wars is like as soon as you introduce the idea of me being able to spawn my own units i feel like the game is a little bit more hands-off in terms of its like designing maps sure. and encounters for me right like when i when i have to make the decision of there are 15 different units i can choose between and i need to figure out which ones i need to figure to like solve this puzzle it feels a little bit more broad than i want it to be you know
1: that's why i really eventually you can choose who you play as in in the first game it's usually andy max or sammy yeah and andy's like the all-around like he, he has no strengths or weaknesses but his special powers he can repair all units for two damage which is honestly fantastic it's huge yeah it's a yeah huge max is really good like all his tanks and melee uh units are really powerful but his range is really bad and sammy her like tanks and like uh mechanical units are below average but her infantry are really strong and they capture points twice as fast and her like apc and um like helicopter units have more distance so you can get units around faster so what i i love playing as sammy specifically because the design is so focused on capturing points that right. that becomes like my mission so I, I try to almost ignore combat just to get a unit to their hq as quickly as possible um, and it can be really thrilling because like you are at a disadvantage otherwise mm-hmm. but i find her her strategy is the most compelling to me yeah but there's some really cool and, and two, they add some more units that so there's or they add some more characters. There's one character I remember who is like all their units are cheaper, but they're like just a little bit shittier, <laughs> which is like <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, but you can make so many of them. It's sort of like a a, a Zerg strategy mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. And then there's the opposite. There's a guy who's like all his units are great, but they're really expensive. So I, I love that. Every character kind of gives you that central design. If you like dig into what the play style is supposed to be. Yeah. But I, I know what you mean it is. It does get a little harder to follow at a certain point.
0: Yeah. That said, I'm still liking it a lot and uh, I, I would recommend it. I think it's fun. It's fun. Uh, why don't we take a break and come back with more
1: video games? That sounds good. I, I love those things. I just think the nunchuck needs a second chance, you know, like not even the Wiimote, just the nunchuck.
0: You're saying this like a bit. I agree with you. <laughs> I, I do like the Nunchuck a lot. I like the Wiimote and Nunchuck. I am so excited we haven't talked about this really at all, but I'm so excited for us to eventually one day do the Nintendo Wii as an episode. Yeah. Cause I just want to have a Wii in my house again. And I am so excited to use the Wii and Nunchuck.
1: Yeah, I, I enjoy them too, to be clear. I just think they're they're one of the more esoteric designs. Totally. But I sure did play so much of Dragon Ball Z Budokai Tenkaichi 2 on the Wii where you had to literally like do a Kamehameha with the Wii Oh my god, really? Uh, that was like at least a third of my sophomore year of high school. We didn't talk about this. Can you believe they're making a new one of those games? I I am excited to check it out. Is it Arc doing it? Yeah. Oh, it's Arc. Oh, I'll definitely play it. Right? Because that's like, like I love Dragon Ball Fighter Z but there is something really special about the DBZ fighting games where you can fly around and like actually have like a more open arena yeah and <laughs> what I used to do my friends and I would play uh Tenkaichi 2 it would be like a team of eight all random so we would have like you know god level Frieza, Yajirobe, Krillin, uh Garlic Jr, Goku, Super Saiyan 3 like just wild and it was so funny to see because some of the care, like a lot of the humans couldn't even fly So if you're playing as Yajirobe, he would like run up and then lose his balance and fall down. And I remember that actually I won because it was Yajirobe versus Frieza. Frieza did his like death beam and Yajirobe fell out of the sky. And then I threw a rock at Frieza and won. I'm like, this should have been an episode. This is incredible. Uh, but yeah, I guess I should probably get the new one, shouldn't I? Now that I'm like, no, no filter, just talking about how cool Yajirobe is into a microphone. Yeah, I think you got to get it. <laughs> and I think I got to get it. I'm excited about it
0: too. Yeah, we should get it. Anyway. Anyway, take a break. Yeah, that sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we're back in... The podcast. I almost said the television show. We're back in the podcast. you imagine? This would be (laughs) back in the TV. Uh, Welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, Before we move on to the next segment, I wanted to make a quick announcement, which I I technically kind of made a couple weeks ago already in passing, kind of by accident. But here we are. I'm going to say it officially. Um, I have a new show. It's a new podcast. It's a video show and it's a podcast. They're one in the same. And depending on where you access it, you will either get a video or you will get audio. But it's called Wavelengths. Uh, you can find it at wavelengths.online or in the show notes down below but it's essentially a, a, a show about video game news and um, this this for those of you who have been listening for a long time know this is a long time coming I think you and I have talked in the past about the idea of like adding a news element to the show and realize like it's not the best fit um, yeah. a couple years ago 2021 I started what is essentially a, a prototype version of this show that was called good morning video games um, which was a short-lived experience Short, I mean it was like a couple months, but it was a short-lived experience where every weekday, before work, so I would get up at like 7 a.m. and I would record uh, essentially a show about video game news and then edit it and release it before I clocked in for my day job. And I did that every weekday for about like two and a half months before realizing like this is burning me out faster than anything yeah. I've ever done in my whole life. Like it just wasn't sustainable for me as a person uh, right. who loves sleeping. I, as as somebody who uh in high school was like diagnosed insomniac, slept like one or two hours a night. I have really come around on the. Idea of sleeping, I think it's great. And I think everyone should get enough of it. Um, and I sure was not when I was making Good Morning Video <laughs> Games. It was not the way to do that. Um, so honestly, ever since hanging up that uh, hanging up that coat, I've, I've been thinking to myself, like, I do want to keep doing some version of that. And I just didn't really know what the best way of doing it was. And I had I had started Good Morning Video Games as a video show specifically because I wanted to challenge myself, because I I feel like I know audio so well. And and one of my jobs before working in the current position that I'm in was literally making like multiple audio podcasts every single day, like every day, I would have to make like a 10 or 15 minute show for like four or five different podcasts. And I just I've gotten really good at like sitting down recording, editing, getting a thing out there like really fast. But I was like, I want to get to that point with video as well. And that's where Good Morning Video Games came from. Um, but I think sitting back and asking myself like how do I how do I continue to pursue my love of covering video game news and covering the industry in a way that feels sustainable and feels like something that I can do because as Steven you know very well like we're all about sustainability in terms of like our time and the amount of yeah. time that we can devote to our projects and making sure that we have enough time to devote to all of the projects that we have going on outside of Into the Aether. It takes kind of what you do with Good
1: Morning Video Games to learn what is sustainable. Totally. I think a good example for us is like I think only now do we have like a sustainable schedule for the Patreon. There was a while where it just felt like too much or like yeah. we weren't really sure like what to make for that space or like how often to make it or how often we could make it. So I think you do have to like try a lot of different things out to see what works best for you. And I think also like it's very easy to be overly ambitious right away. Not in the sense of what the idea is but in the sense of how often you're going to do it. Like I've yeah. mentioned before when I first started drawing I was like cool I want to draw eight hours a day. I went to bed. <laughs> Speaking of weird sleep. <laughs> Warning of this episode. I would go to bed at seven to wake up at three in the morning to draw for like five hours before work. And I did that for like months. Oh, I remember my God. friend made fun of me. because She was like, Hey, do you want to get dinner tonight? And I was like, I was like, what time? And she's like, I don't know, like seven I'm like, no, that's way too late. Like, what, <laughs> what is happening oh, no. with you? But then I learned it's like, you know, it's not worth you know, once you put that amount of pressure on something, it's a it's a guaranteed way to burn yourself out, yeah, or to make you resent the thing you're working on. Yes, I found it's much better to like like drawing is kind of unique because it is sort of a muscle you have to train. So like, right. for me, I'm very comfortable being like, I might I might only get to draw for 10 minutes today, but I'm just going to like pull out my sketch pad and work on something. Mm-hmm. And and that is actually more helpful than forcing myself to draw for eight hours, you know? And yeah. like, I don't know, it, it's different for everybody and you'll find what works best for you. I think for us, because we are so widespread in our interests, like we're, we're doing the show and we're working and we're also living our own lives and we also have our own creative endeavors on top of that like yeah uh, it, it takes a while to find uh, that's actually a question we're asked constantly and and I don't want to act like I'm an expert on this because it's an ongoing process but we are asked often like how do you find time to make the show and to play the games and and it really is uh, I don't have a concrete answer because it's, it's a constant journey because our schedules are also <laughs> always changing so yeah. like I, I think it really is about finding a ritual that works for you that feels positive like during the show like I look forward to recording every Sunday it's worth Work, but it's not like a something I resent and it's something that when we don't do it, it feels weird. So to me, that's a good sign that like, okay, we found a ritual that works. But anyway, don't mean yeah. to take the attention away from no, you. No, 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 no. I, th- I think that's all. No, that's yeah. all
0: super worth bringing up. I I, I think. Yeah. Uh, no, I, th- I think that makes sense. I And it yeah. is good uh, color to. Where wavelengths came from, so like, good morning, video games. I I don't really consider a failure because uh, it it led to this in in that way. But I have just been kind of like figuring out how to continue pursuing that love for such a long time. And uh, I, it was like a couple weeks ago, I think like a month ago, just about. I literally I couldn't sleep, like I couldn't get to sleep because I was just like thinking about how to bring it back. And I was like, I just got, I just have to do it, and. If you've been listening to the show since the beginning, you maybe know that my strategy whenever starting new things is to just do just like do it uh, and then like figure it out later. So the first couple episodes of this show, for example, like you and I didn't have a format. We didn't have a name. Even we just kind of sat down. I didn't down. have a mic.
1: I just sort of talked into my laptop and I was like, yeah, I think games are pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I played uh, them in well. And and eventually, over the course of doing like five or six test episodes, we eventually figured out the format, the name, the structure, like everything about it, like the yeah. vibe, like we we figured it out. But that was you know one of those like just do it until that kind of crystallizes. And I was like, why don't I just take my own advice for once in my life and, and do that again <laughs> uh, for Wavelengths? So for the past couple of weeks, like for the past like month ish, I've been making episodes once a week that are released on YouTube, also as a podcast. And if you listen on Spotify, you could get the video version of it on Spotify as well. But But, But I did that for a while until I kind of like nailed what I thought the crux of the the production flow and and the cadence should be. And what I landed on is Wavelengths is a show that's going to come out every single week. But the question is, what day does it come out? It's not going to come out on like a set day. Specifically, I will only release episodes when I think the news is like interesting enough to warrant an episode because there's a lot, you know, if you just want like kind of like classic game news coverage, you can get that kind of anywhere. But I feel like for me specifically, if I want to add my voice to the, the like word cloud of commentary that exists on the internet. I want to make sure that I have like an actual angle and an actual like thing to talk about. Um yeah. so I don't want to force episodes out if they shouldn't exist, for example. Uh so I did that for a couple of weeks and uh, it was really fun and the the feedback I got uh from the very few people who have seen it so far has been positive. Um and then I went to LA and I took a week off. Um, just to kind of like mull over how I wanted to roll it out. And, uh, here it is. Wavelengths exists and it's out. And, uh, if, if you're listening to this episode of Into the Aether, you can go listen to Wavelengths right now. It's available on all podcast platforms. It's available on YouTube. Uh, it's all over the place. And honestly, go back and check out some of those test episodes. I'm actually really proud of some of them. Like there's one yeah. where, uh, I talked to a friend of the show, Tamar Hussein, uh, about the announcement of the Street Fighter movie. And Tam just like dropped like a, a, a megaton bomb of like the best pitch for a street fighter movie I've ever heard in my life. It was like the first, like, cause I, I'm not a person who like has a huge love for street fighter. Um, I, I don't have like the reverence for it yet. I mean, maybe as we do the dreamcast episode, that'll start to materialize. Yeah, also
1: six is coming out. So that's
0: what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and six is coming out. So I feel like that, that might happen eventually, but like just hearing from somebody who like loves street fighter, exactly how to make a street fighter movie. I was like, Oh shit. I all, I do want to see that. And I don't even really like street fighter that much. Um, yeah. so, anyway. that stuff is good uh so expect to uh, you know hear from me at the very least but also i'm gonna be uh bringing like friends of the show and probably new people in here and there as well Uh, so you can check that out at wavelengths.online whenever you want but hopefully when episodes come out.
1: <laughs> I'm really glad you've, you've, yeah, you found, uh, like we said earlier, like you found a, a schedule that works for you. Because I know this is something that you've been wanting to do for a really long time. I mean, even when we started doing this, like you said earlier, there's always the question of like, how often do we want to talk about news? And like, we'll still do like, if there's a Nintendo Direct that's like, unbelievable we'll, we'll do a, a weird episode about it but yeah. um, news has never really meshed with the show so I'm really glad you found an avenue for it that's been working so well for you
0: yeah yeah because yeah, yeah even in the like there are sometimes Nintendo directs that we don't talk about right like it's not a given that if there's Nintendo direct we'll talk about it no, actually <laughs> there was one this week and we're not talking about it this week you know yeah, um, yeah. So it, it's not it's not always going to fit the show Um, but that's that's I think where wavelengths is because I it is stuff that I like talking about and, and want to talk about on a more consistent basis so uh, you can check that out there
1: I do it appreciate that our second season was like accidentally a true crime podcast about the twitter presence of the pokemon company and <laughs> yeah the lead up to sword and shields uh, that was marketing. hard to not talk about yeah that was yeah it was like every every week they're like here's a ghost in a teapot and i'm like fuck how do you expect me just to like do my job yeah now? this bird you know?
0: swallowed pikachu yeah <laughs> <laughs> um this is anyway, the thing that edgar allen really poe saw when he went to sleep yeah
1: <laughs> Why don't we take a quick break here and then come back to uh, our next game? Yeah, I'm actually I'm really excited to hear about this one. Oh, I am, too. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it at you and the listener. Yeah, this is going to be great. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Brendan. Steven. So last week you brought... Final Fantasy 12 to the show and you were saying that you're kind of in this mood to revisit games that maybe you really clicked with but moved away from or maybe just ones you want to give a second chance Mm -hmm. and that inspired me because there are a few games that I've played in the years doing this show that I felt like I might have a bad take on. Do you ever feel that like crawling feeling under your skin where you're like is this a bad take?
0: Yeah, Disco Elysium is is the the game <laughs> yeah. that is constantly it's it's my sleep paralysis demon hanging over me at all times. I, I,
1: I think like we we uh, the episode we have about Disco Elysium is is not an ultimatum by any stretch. Nor can there ever really be a true ultimatum because things are always changing and growing. But that's a game that I really want to revisit. But th- there are a few games where like my my feeling playing Disco Elysium was like I love what this game is doing narratively and and just creatively, but I don't really. Love playing it. Um, yeah. like I, I don't love the act of playing it, and I'm open to that changing because I think I, I don't know. I remember when we talked about Elysium I kept kind of referring to it as having point and click DNA. Which I like kind of does, but that's also not the genre it is, and right. you know I think that might speak to maybe I, a different expectation of what the experience is going to be. So mm. I'll revisit that one day. But I, I I had this feeling. So Baldur's Gate three is coming out in August. That is maybe my most anticipated game of this year. Yeah, very excited for it. I've been debating like, do I return to the early access? And then I was looking at my my shelf of games and I saw I have a physical copy of Divinity Original Sin 2. Wow. Which is a game that I played a good amount of. I I checked my old save file and I have a 10 hours, which in Divinity time is like maybe 10 minutes,
0: but like for any (laughs) other game would be a lot of time. Can I I jump in here for a second? Please do. The funny thing about this game, I I don't think I mentioned this last week, but uh, I I, I went to LA for a week and I only brought my Switch with me as I've mentioned, and I downloaded a bunch of games to play because we were playing Metroid Prime for our bonus this episode about it uh, so i was like i just want to bring my switch so i'm kind of like forcing myself to play metroid prime like i have to see it every time i turn my switch on but on top of that i i downloaded a couple of games here and there tron identity was one of them and final fantasy 12 was another one and the other one that was up against final fantasy 12 was divinity original sin 2 oh which I, wow which really? i also downloaded i don't even think i told you this i also downloaded on my switch it's also on my home screen like waiting to be played so when That's you texted amazing. me you were like hey i think i'm going to talk about divinity original sin 2 this week i was like please do because i am i am like itching for a reason to smash the a button on that icon.
1: Yeah. So I I brought it to the show I want to say like two or three years ago. Like it's been a mm-hmm. while. It, it was like I think the second season, the season of Teapot Ghost Pokémon.
0: Yeah. Um and you did convince me to pick it up based on that second. I did. Yeah. I I liked it. Like, again, we only talk about
1: games we enjoy on the show. So like even when we're more critical, like it's not like it's not going to be a, a an indictment of the game. Yeah. But I I was critical about it and I don't I haven't listened to that episode. Uh, again in anticipation of talking about it but I, I kind of remember how I felt because I've talked about it a lot and that's kind of what's been nagging at me is like I have a lot of friends who are really into divinity mm-hmm. and they're like you hey, played this game I'm like yeah I, I really like it and I, I remember what I said about the game and what I've said to to disappointed friends since <laughs> is that I really love, similar to Scolisium, I really love what the game is doing narratively. I love the characters. I'm so amazed at the openness of it, the possibilities of like what can happen at any given moment, the choices the player has. The role-playing possibilities of that game are just unbelievable. It really does come as close to playing tabletop as a game can get. But I also found it to be very overwhelming and I found it to be really punishing in a way that like i remember walking away from the experience feeling really frustrated because like i wanted to keep playing it, i wanted to see more of it and the game was constantly lighting me on fire and like (laughs) killing me and telling me no yeah and i i found it to be kind of unpleasant after a while Mm -hmm. one big thing i learned which is very embarrassing. And this may affect uh, the listener's opinion of me and my takes, but I was playing on hard without realizing it um, all this time. Oh my later. God. <laughs> uh, in my defense, they don't really say easy, normal or hard. Uh, I was playing on tactician mode, Yeah. which is like a step below the like nightmare mode where like, it's like purposely.
0: Oh my brutal. God. That's actually more embarrassing for me who was not playing on hard and still found the game too difficult. <laughs>
1: Eventually, I switched it to story mode, which I enjoyed more. But at that point, I just sort of felt a little burnt out and moved on. Mm -hmm. I'm playing on explorer mode now, which is like perfect. The thing about about this game is that I don't think anything I said in the past is wrong. I do think the game is like pretty overwhelming. I don't think it has a great like UI. Um, There's like a tutorial part of the game where you're on a ship. And like the bottom deck of the ship is supposed to be like the tutorial part of the game. But like... It really just sort of mocks you more than anything. Like, you're searching all these things. And, like, Mm -hmm. there's, like, one of the first things you can search is a haystack. And the narrator goes, like, were you expecting a needle? I'm like, ah, like, what? Like, all this, this game is mocking me for trying to connect with things. And that's, like, what I kept feeling over and over again, Uh, even though I was loving so much of it. But I, I just felt like it was worth returning to because I've had this before. And one of my favorite things in doing this show is the fact that we have the ability to, like, you know, it's not... Even if we have done a bonus about something, it's never said that we can never bring it back. We can always kind of just go with whatever our interest is is leading us to. Yeah. So I've always wanted to revisit it. Um. So I, I did. I, I picked it up again, started over, and similar to the experience I had with Dragon Quest Eleven, where like I played that game and like liked it enough to bring it to the show, but didn't really get it. And like I remember when you played it and loved it i was like either i'm missing something or i don't know brendan as well as i thought i did um (laughs) and then i played it and i was like i have never been so wrong about Mm. something before like and and again like i think the reason why i struggled to connect with it as much the first time was the version i was playing for one right i was playing the the non-definitive edition version um but also i just i i didn't I don't know if I, I fully knew what to expect because I think I went into Dragon Quest XI with with mostly a Final Fantasy and Persona experience with, with RPGs. So I think for me... Dragon Quest at that time felt, like, overly traditional in a mm. way that, like, kind of bored me. But then, knowing more about the series, going back to eleven, I found it to be so magical and so, like, masterfully done. So then I kind of realized, oh, th- this is traditional because they do it the best. Like, this is, like, <laughs> <laughs> this is the the bedrock of, of this genre, basically. Right, yeah. Um, and I think that game also just, like, takes off. Like, it, it is a bit of a slow burn, so I, I understand why it took a couple tries. But I'm so glad... And so grateful that I returned to that game. And because and, at this point, it's one of my all time favorites. And I can now say the same thing for Divinity Original Sin 2. This game oh. is a masterpiece. Whoa. And I I do think it requires kind of fucking up and not having fun for 10 hours to like get
0: it. Uh, it requires good morning video games to get your wavelengths. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yes, exactly. You're not far off.
0: I uh, I had a similar thing with Dragon
1: Age Origins, mm. which is a, a Bioware game, sort of like in some ways, I feel like Dragon Age is sort of pitched as like the fantasy Mass Effect. But in reality, Dragon Age Origins was sort of like a retro homage when it came out because it came out around the same time Mass Effect 2 was released. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Bioware was clearly shifting their focus from like those classic like hardcore crpgs to more cinematic more aaa friendly games like mass effect and i think in retrospect looking at dragon age origins it, it kind of feels like it was made for the old school fans like here's a new version of the old thing you love here's mm-hmm. advanced wars one plus two boot camp dragon age origins and when the first time i played it i i kind of was just expecting fantasy mass effect and was sort of like eh, i don't really know i don't really know what i'm doing i i don't really know like i don't i'm not connecting with these characters the same way i feel like i built my characters incorrectly like eight hours ago and now i'm paying the <laughs> price for it and dropped it but still had that like little bit of intrigue left where i'm like i know i'll play this again one day and then when i did i fell in love with it and that's one of my favorite games so like there's something about the the style of crpg at least for me maybe it's just the steven thing but i do think to really get a sense of how open and how ambitious this game is in terms of like adapting to the style of role-playing you do have to kind of see it in multiple playthroughs, even if they're not complete. I think just like starting the game a couple times and getting a sense of like what your play style is going to be and like which characters you want to use. Because this time I actually, so uh, this will be spoiler free, but just to kind of set up this game in case you don't know it. The game begins and essentially when you make a new game file, uh, you can choose who your player character is. And there are six already written, authored characters. And what's really fun is that you can essentially hear each of their backstory performed by them So one of them is called the Red Prince, who I think I mentioned before, who's this like the cover art for that episode, if I recall correctly, really snobby lizard guy. And if you listen to his backstory, he was like, I was a prince. I had a (laughs) kingdom, but they caught me fraternizing with demons and I lost it all. Uh, And then, you know, so there's a few of those like that. And what's cool is that you can actually play as any of those characters and essentially like cast them as the main character, or you can recruit them as companions. So it's kind of like in Mass Effect, if you could like play as Garrus or recruit him as a party member. Yeah. So the first time I played, I played as Losa, who I think is by far the most interesting character. She is like a famous, essentially pop star that is possessed by demons and like, (laughs) I just was in love with that concept for a character and i played as her and it was cool to have her as the main character but now i am actually playing as a custom character you can also just make your own mm. and i, I kind of prefer that like I, I i imagine that the authored characters are really cool as the protagonist once you have a stronger sense of who they are like there's a character named fane who's like this really uh rude undead skeleton who considers himself superior to everyone and i'm like i eventually want to play as this guy but i don't know if i want to like party with them yet like, I, <laughs> <laughs> think this guy is up to his own thing, but kind of making my own character, like really, actually role playing as like someone who is separate from all of these written campaigns. I now have Losa as a party member, and it's so fun to hear her like be voiced and like get a stronger sense of who this character is. So, one, I think playing on the lower difficulty allows me to navigate battles more successfully. I, I actually I've only really been challenged by one or two battles. I'm playing as a battle mage, which is sick, and I think I have a pretty well rounded party but I think just by nature of having a little bit more knowledge of this game the systems and like what's sort of expected of me I've had a lot more fun thinking outside the box that's I think the best thing about this game is that when you're in a combat phase it plays sort of like D&D or even a tactics game where like it's turn-based and you can move everyone around and you have like set skills for every character but you can also try things like like I was I was in a fight where there were these two archers above me and I'm like okay I'm gonna make it rain with Losa and then freeze those water puddles so like the archers keep slipping whenever they try to move Mm. and then my character also was given gloves that allowed me to teleport around so like it just makes everything you decide is cool feel like it was the way it was intended to play Mm. and that's like such a rare feeling in games because usually there's like a set way to play or they give you like three determined paths but I think like the fact that this game is so comfortable letting you navigate a scenario in really any way you could possibly think of is is really compelling to me this time around. And I think it just helps that I have like, I'm not just going in blind because there's so many systems and so much happening when you like first turn the game on that I do think like either maybe watching a guide or like reading a little bit of a tutorial online or just playing it for a bit and messing around, I think is sort of required to like, connect with the game in a meaningful way. But I'm, I'm just really resonating with the characters and just the way the game feels to play. It's so exciting. Like every, every time I get into an encounter, I'm like amazed at what could happen. And I'm also like constantly following threads of my own curiosity. Like in the beginning, you're all basically prisoners on this island. And the reason you're partying together at all is to just find a way to escape. And a cat just started following me on the island. They're like, this cat follows you. I'm like, who is this this cat going to be like a magician or something? And actually, one of my party mates can talk to animals and I had him talk to the cat and the cat was like, what's going on? Like, so like, no, nothing, no plan, no motive. The cat was just curious. Yeah. And I went out of my way to make sure this cat didn't get killed. Like every battle, I would heal it before I even healed my own party members. <laughs> I, I took this cat everywhere with me. And when I got off the island, not only did I get an achievement that the cat like got out safely. Whoa. But I also got the ability to summon a cat familiar, which is like such an interesting move. It's not that powerful but essentially what i can do is i'm soul bound to a summonable cat that i can switch places with so what i can do is like summon a cat make it like jump up to a really hard to reach place and then switch my character with where the cat is and that can like that's what i mean like there's so many things like that and (laughs) i think it's hard to really know or appreciate those things if you're just going into the game blind or if you don't have like a trust that the game is going to meet you with where you're where you're coming from you know it's hard to trust the game is going to reward your curiosity because it still can be so punishing and it can feel like i i think i think you know something still still irk me a little bit like i don't know i don't know if i have like a firm grasp on the plot still and sometimes encounters will happen where i'm like not fully sure what's going on but like i would take that As the downside of just the creative openness of the game, I do think that is sort of like inevitable with a game that's this open. That it might feel a little bit less clear on like what the critical path is. But I would recommend revisiting it. Like I don't, I don't know if you'll have the same experience I am now, but I think you'll like it a lot more if you kind of know that the game is like willing to meet you at the wildest places. Yeah.
0: I have Okay, I have three three thoughts here. Yes, uh, yes. The first is that my, my first time playing this game, if I recall correctly, I tried two different times. I played as two different characters. I didn't make my own, I think, either time. And both times just died in like the most, I, I couldn't even account it for this way so I do think and this leads me to my second point I do think maybe if I if I found some kind of guide as you were saying that would probably be really helpful for me to even like understand the boundaries of like how to start I think like if there's a starter guide somewhere and this is a call to you dear listener if you have any resources that you know of that exist that would be helpful here I, I will gladly accept them um, but I do I do kind of want to just make my own character and jump into it like you did I think that sounds really fun and then my third thought is I wonder if this is our path back to Disco Elysium like I wonder if like this I think it might be Baldur's Gate 3 and like the experience of you know as we're checking out more visual novels and getting into more visual novels same thing with CRPGs like this like I wonder if that is going to lead us back into being like oh yeah that was a masterpiece and like it just didn't click for us the first time you know what I think helped me was Deus Ex because that is also a game that is all about like
1: letting you play in creative ways yeah
0: I downloaded that I still haven't started it yet it's like sitting on my Steam Deck Oh,
1: it's it's there for you when you need it. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like Divinity always stood out to me because I love fantasy, I love D and love role playing. And I'm like, why isn't this the one? Right. And I I feel pretty strongly that like the more I play it, the more it will be like one of my favorite games like ever, which is really exciting.
0: Yeah. Um, and it's isn't that such a good feeling? It is. It's a good. It's I think it's really exciting to recognize like we're in our 30s. Like it, when you're in your 30s and you're still like, wow, I've been alive for over 30 years and I'm just now finding this thing that might be one of my favorite things ever that's yeah. like such a great feeling <laughs> it is it's exciting I
1: mean it, it all it requires is you to be open to it you know totally and I think yeah. like I'm just glad that I didn't I never wrote the game off but I'm glad I didn't like settle too much into what I thought of it initially mm-hmm. I'm glad I, I kept a place in my heart like and here's the thing you know there are gonna we're gonna have bad takes sometimes There are gonna be games that maybe are universally beloved that we don't click with it'd be weird if everyone fully agreed on everything yeah you know but I I just think that like Divinity felt like the one I maybe didn't give enough time or maybe like wasn't in the right headspace for. It was also pretty early on in the show and that that was also a time where I was playing like a lot of things very quickly. Yeah. So it feels like this is a game that I will kind of always fall back into. And I'm excited to see where the story goes and how it continues to open up because I'm about where I was. Like I, for those who know the game, the whole opening area is Fort Joy and I'm now on the boat that like takes you out of that place. Mm. So the first time I played, I got, I, like, got the boat to leave because of course you have to talk to the boat to get it to work. Um, which <laughs> the first time that happened, I was like, give me something. I've worked so hard to get here and now I have to talk to the boat. This time I'm an elf and I actually like already have a good idea on how to talk to the boat. And the thing about elves in <laughs> the world of divinity is that, this is kind of weird, but they can eat part of a corpse to see their immediate past. So in many battles, I'll just like find a head or an arm and like eat it and then like be given way more context of like what led to this than if I wasn't an elf. So that that stuff just makes like same beats of the plot, but I'm already having a wildly different experience getting there, Mm. Um, which is so cool. And again, I think that requires multiple playthroughs to really appreciate because the first time you play it, you're not going to know what is like unique or not. Yeah, it's going to feel like it's all. Standard, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 awesome. I'd be very curious to see what you think if you revisit it. But I would say, yeah, make your own character and also play on uh, either explorer or story. I just think it's also like that's as much as I enjoy the combat, I I'm not there to like get overly punished. Playing on explorer is nice because the battles that have been hard felt like this should be a hard battle. And I think what's cool too is that the hard battles aren't like, well, you should be higher level. It's like I need to be really creative and and how I approach this. Yeah, that's what you want. Yeah, I want to change, like, how I'm navigating this arena. You know, like, I have a... My party is... I have Losa, who's the Enchantress, the Red Prince, and Ifan, who's, like, a ranger... So like I usually have Ethan like cloak himself and go to like really high places and just be like a sniper. And then the red prince is just tanking. But like, you know, they're they're the, the battle I struggled with the most was against this witch who could constantly possess the red prince. So he was always turning against us. Mm. So it's just like even when I'm losing it's in fun ways, you know? And uh yeah, I I, I would recommend this game to anyone who likes role playing games. I, I think it's worth checking out, even if you maybe feel the way I did the first time.
0: Yeah, I, I... I have also had that kind of nagging feeling that I should go back and check this game out. And I feel like you've, you've completely like kind of, uh, use the eraser on on the whiteboard (laughs) in my brain that's like yeah i'll I'll, i feel like if i went back into it right now it would be like a completely fresh experience for me which is really exciting it is interesting the the other piece of me that's really excited about checking this game out again actually comes from how into final fantasy 12 i am right now yeah because i'm i'm so uh, like i'm way past where we were when we talked last week at this point and i'm at the point where i have the full party and everyone has like a billion gambit slots and and um just to refresh gambit slots are your kind of if then statements that allow you to program literally like the the ways in which your party members will react to different encounters so like for example i have uh the, the the leader of the party for me is Vaughn who's like the main character he's like the the kid you know who gets whisked on this wild adventure but his first gambit slot is if an enemy has 100% health then steal from them so I can steal an item and then attack after that if they're not 100% and then after that if if your own health is under 30% then use a potion and then after that is you know a XYZ thing Um, and then you also have like the mages that's like if fire vulnerable use fire if ice weak use ice and things like that and I'm so deep into the game now where i have like you know 10 gambit slots per each character maybe not 10 but like a lot of gambit slots for each character and you also have three sets of gambits that you can assign and i have maxed out all of those for all of those party members so i'm like in the headspace now that's like i live for the complexity like i am all yeah. about it and i feel like that will maybe lead me into divinity too again absolutely
1: yeah even though you're like technically playing as one character you can actually play as all of them and like you manage all of their equipment and all their leveling and like uh when you recruit a character like the red prince will be like i'm trained in the ways of warfare like he's clearly a warrior but he's like i can also do a little bit of magic if you want (laughs) so you can like kind of tell him like focus on what you're good at or actually i want you to play slightly differently which is fun because for me you you can have three companions and building out the party of four was really actually rolled dice to determine who was going to be my party because i couldn't choose because i love them all so much um but i'm like i can't have fane and the red prince because they're both jerks and i need to balance out the party a little bit like i can't have two arrogant princes Mm -hmm. in my party but then it's like and losa she's like really fun and bubbly but like will randomly get possessed and you actually have to fight her sometimes which is like wild whoa uh at one point she's even like do you really want to adventure with me like i'm like actually a liability Like maybe this shouldn't happen. And Ethan is like the closest you get to normal, but is also like maybe a hitman. (laughs) Um, so there's like a lot going on (laughs) yeah Um, but all this to say i think like while i'm really glad it's clicking for me i do think i would guess that boulders gate 3 is going to be a little bit more approachable even in just the fact that it's like kind of more bioware-y in its approach at like having the campfire and like Mm -hmm. the relationships with characters so i'm really i'm really really excited to see like what that game does differently and like the places, i just feel like larian is kind of picking up the bioware baton in a lot of ways Mm. i feel like this is sort of like
0: the most exciting approach at these kind of rpgs yeah that's Divinity Original Sin 2, which is available on a lot of things. You and I are playing it on Switch, right? Uh, I'm actually play it on oh, you're playing it on PS4. Are you playing on PS4. Okay. Um, yeah. It's also on, like, iPad and is available on Mac as well. So, like, yeah. there's a lot of ways to play it.
1: I think it's I think it's pretty good on PS4, but I would say it's, like, it's definitely made with, with like, a mouse and keyboard in mind. Or I think a tablet actually would be perfect for it because there's a lot of, like, selecting and yeah. menus and stuff. So I
0: wonder if the touchscreen works on the Switch version. I haven't tried that. I should, I should give it might, a shot. It might, yeah.
1: Yeah, that might be the way
0: to do it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. I would highly recommend. Cool. Uh, let's Sick. take a break and talk about uh, the Dreamcast and things that are Dreamcast adjacent. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hello, we're back. Hey. We, as you mentioned earlier, have both received our Sega Dreamcasts, uh, which is fun and exciting and cool. And I think you and I have both gone about our excitement about doing the Dreamcast episode in different ways this week, where you yeah. you are playing a game for the Sega Dreamcast. Uh, and I am on this weird kind of journey. I, I think I would say backwards, starting from the end to get back to the Dreamcast in a way. and the game that I have been playing this week, which I, I didn't tell you about because I, I just thought it'd be funny to see your reaction to it. If I'm being honest, but the game that I've been playing this week is Sonic frontiers. Oh, wow. Interesting. Which okay. is the most recent yeah. Sonic game, um, which I feel like you and I, we, we brought it up on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, d- very briefly just talking about like the lineage of Sonic and, and 2d Sonic versus 3d Sonic and things like that. And I, I think I, I said somehow offhandedly, like, you know, Sonic frontiers wasn't really well received. Like it didn't do super well. Like, critically or commercially turns out that that wasn't true at all uh, Yeah, it like did actually fantastically commercially uh, from what i understand
1: still divisive critically but like definitely better
0: than than a lot of the recent 3d yes. ones it's sold yeah. very well yeah i'll say that it's sold very well um but you know you can go read reviews and they're kind of all over the map there's some people that are like this is great there's some people that are like this has some major issues and you can't overlook them and i you know that that's catnip for me i'm like all about games that are that divisive i think yeah. you know if, if people are like really going to bat for something that a lot of people also really dislike then I'm like I gotta know I gotta yeah. know where I land yeah. on that on that divide so I, I saw that Sonic Frontiers was on sale on Switch I saw the digital foundry report that the Switch version was like weirdly miraculously great so I decided to check it out Um, while it was on sale. And if you don't know what Sonic Frontiers is, I think the thing about it and and one of the things that put a lot of people on edge and maybe on the side of like, I'm not going to like this. Like people made their minds up about it even before it came out. I think honestly, me included to a certain extent, is that the reveal of it, What once we actually knew what it was, because there was like a tease that there was a new Sonic game coming for a long time, but then there was like an official trailer and it was like, this is coming really soon and here's what Sonic Frontiers is. It looks almost exactly like Breath of the Wild, but they put Sonic in it. Like that really is the vibe. And as you and I have talked about a lot over the past couple of years, I guess at this point, but there are a lot of games that take inspiration for Breath of the Wild, but like don't understand why that game is good. Um, there are a lot of things that are like, oh yeah, it's, climbing towers climbing towers is the reason the breath of the wild is good it's like well right, no, or hand ju- gliders yeah, yeah or yeah the, yeah you could jump off of a tower and use a hand glider and that's why that's why that game is good it's like there's more to it than that obviously so i was a little bit on the back foot with sonic frontiers being like i don't i don't know if that makes sense to me because for me someone who has only been hearing about this stuff secondhand for like ever really like since the era of sonic 06 i've only been really hearing about this <laughs> stuff like secondhand i felt personally like, I hadn't heard anyone really go to bat for the Sonic team having actually figured out how to put Sonic in 3D space. Like, that that to me is the bigger hurdle, is like, I don't know if anyone has figured out how to take that kind of speed that Sonic is supposed to have and make it feel good in a in a space where I'm able to move in X, Y, and Z dimensions. And... That was the bigger thing for me was like, okay, you still haven't figured that out and you're going to make it an open world. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's the move, really. Uh, Also, these games are like trying to include combat in them. Right. Like even going all the way back to the original Sonic Adventure on the Dreamcast, like, you know, you have the button that allows you to like home in and like dash into somebody or like punch and kick or whatever. And all of that stuff just felt like you haven't figured out basic movement. Why are you adding combat to this yet? You know, to me. Um, but I, I I thought to myself, I'm going to step back from this because I definitely have a lot of biases here. Growing up with Sonic, kind of falling out of love with playing Sonic, enjoying Sonic Mania a lot a couple of weeks ago when you and I talked about it and being like, I really need to like recalibrate myself around this franchise. I said, let me go to this one that a lot of people really love and see how pe- see how I feel about it. Yeah. And just to level set, I don't I don't think it's like great. I'm not I'm not like in love with it. I'm not like this is incredible, but it is like it is it is good it is a good video game and i am enjoying my play with it a lot and i've played more hours of it than i really would have expected like usually when you and i bring a game to the show i i think we've played at minimum like an hour or two of it usually is kind of our like threshold i would say yeah it depends but
1: usually like it's like in the case of like advanced wars I'm probably like a couple hours in divinity it's like i don't even know
0: <laughs> yeah that's what i mean though. i think like the bo- the bottom threshold for us usually is like an hour right, or two hours. Right, right, and that yeah. was that was my plan with sonic frontiers i was like i'm gonna play like an hour or two get a feel for it first impression kind of thing yeah exactly yeah and i'll come back to it later if i get further in i have played like five hours of this game already at this point <laughs> i can't stop nice. playing it and i keep thinking about it which i think says a lot yeah I just to get it out of the way, because there is the one glaring issue with this game that I think is the reason a lot of people dislike it. And actually, having gone back and read a lot of the reviews more in depth, this is what people call out. Even the people who like the game are like, you can't overlook this. They have figured out movement for Sonic in 3D space and they have figured out an open world and all of that I'll get to. And it's very cool. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work in tandem with itself. And very frequently you will be like riding a rail or, you know, fighting an enemy or something and just fall off the edge of the world because they have, you know, bottomless pits at the edge of the world and then you'll just die and need to respawn and start wherever you were again and for a game that is all about the flow of movement and and you know, just kind of like living this power fantasy of like, I'm Sonic in a full ass sandbox and I can do whatever I want and I'm like super powerful, the moments in which you're like living that dream and then just like fall to your death in the stupidest way possible is really upsetting in the exact same, it's why It's the exact same way I felt about Sonic One and Two, when we talked about it a couple weeks ago, when talking about Sonic Advance or Sonic Mania, is when I went back and revisited those games. I feel like the power fantasy of Sonic the Hedgehog is I can run as fast as possible, and sometimes I'm running as fast as possible, and the level designer has decided to put a bottomless pit in front of me, and I just run into it because I didn't know that that was coming. <laughs> right. But they did, and they were like, "Oh, you should have anticipated that. I guess fix it on the next run." It's like, well, I had the shitty experience now, though, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. And I'm having that a lot with Sonic Frontiers. What's different here is that it's not a level design quirk it's literally just like the game design quirk it's like unfortunately because so many of these experiences that you're you're having throughout this world are set precariously over the edge of a bottomless cliff you're gonna fall into the bottomless cliff a lot and it's gonna fuck you up you're gonna lose all your rings and all your progress and have to load from the from the last save and that's a little bit of a bummer so just getting that out of the way i think if you if you can overlook that or if you can tell yourself like this is gonna happen and it's fine and you just need to like put up with it i i think that they have figured out sonic's movement in a 3d space I think th- this game just feels impeccable to play. I think setting it in an open world specifically is the key that unlocks that. And I'll, I'll be interested to see if I still feel that when I go backwards and play some of the other Sonic games, because I, I definitely want to get to at least Sonic Generations, which seems to be the one that everyone is like, this is when they got it. Like, this is the one that's like really good. So I, I want to see if that's the case. But I, I, for me, the ability to have Sonic the Hedgehog, who is known for running fast, have just like a big, wide open field and a a huge play space to run around in actually allows you to feel the speed of his traversal in a way that I've never felt before outside of the like really on rails missions that they have in like the Sonic Adventure games for example like Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 it's like they're pretty linear and that's their way of reigning in the fact that like it's really hard to make Sonic work in 3D because he's so fast but when you are given free reign to have an open world and you're like yeah I'm going to run as fast as I can and there's a boost button that'll let me run even faster you really do feel that like whiplash of speed that you're supposed to feel when you're playing a sonic on top of that they just litter the world in all of these like grind rails and challenges like big uh you know monuments and statues that you can run up the side of because you're so fast or um like little puzzle solving elements where it's like I need to you know use my uh homing lock-on like dash move to kind of jump into this spring that launches me into the air and while i'm in the air i need to like figure out where the next thing I could lock onto where like the next spring hanging in the air is and then use that. And you're kind of like uh, essentially platform puzzle solving your way around this space as well. Um, The game I would say in terms of its actual flow is like, Uh, kind of confusing because it seems at least where I'm at in the game the move seems to be that I'm just like unlocking characters here and there and I'm also unlocking more of the island and more of like the play space and that's fine by me because that's kind of where I'm having the most fun every once in a while though you will also defeat these kind of bigger enemies that drop these cogs that you can use to place into like totems. I would say that teleport you into just like classic Sonic adventure and Sonic adventure two levels. Oh, interesting. And having that experience with this freedom of movement, I think is really fun. The thing that they've really nailed for me about those segments in particular, it feels a lot like, um, it feels a lot like super Mario sunshine specifically where like you would have, you know, those big open levels in super Mario sunshine every once in a while, you'd have those challenge levels the ones that right. were like floating yeah. in space, where it's like, oh, this is Super Mario 64 again. You know, this is like, you know, a more condensed, the designers really have a very specific intention in terms of how I'm supposed to make my way through this space. Or even the shrines in Breath of the Wild kind of. Or the, yes, exactly. Yeah. It feels very much like that, but the goal is speed running and collectibles. So it's like, you know, I can run around this open world for as long as I want and do all of these challenges, fight these like big bosses that are like Shadow of the Colossus adjacent, which is like exhilarating, to be clear, really cool. And then if I need, a break from that, I can hop into these smaller discrete very linear levels and have like literally a Tony Hawk checklist of things that I need to do, <laughs> you know, okay, uh, beat the level in under this time limit, uh, get this many rings, get this kind of score, get these like five golden coins or whatever, or get these five red coins. All the co- coins are golden. Uh, get these five uh, <laughs> red uh, coins, things like that, that they just like pull me into the almost like speed running neon whiteification of Sonic the Hedgehog that I've kind of <laughs> always wanted. Neon um, yeah,
1: whiteification like that. which
0: i i love like i'm having a really good time with those segments great, in particular yeah. and then outside of that just exploring this place is honestly really fun it's like real it feels really free it's really loose and i think if they were to make a sequel to this and i kind of hope they do i imagine they would refine a lot of that a lot and 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 give you a little bit more of a direction because i feel right now pretty aimless in terms of the way i'm making my way around the island but generally speaking This is like the best that Sonic has felt in 3D for me ever. Wow. And and I, I think that's a huge accomplishment in and of itself, because to my knowledge, being very like blunt to my specific knowledge, I know you, dear listener, might have a different feeling about this. But to my knowledge specifically, I have never felt a Sonic that felt good in 3D, really, outside of the ones that are very linearly designed. Being able to just explore this space and move as quickly as I want has given me the power fantasy that I've always kind of wished for.
1: That's that's amazing. I mean, I'm I'm really glad you're having fun with it. And uh you definitely like I, I didn't really have much of an interest either. I feel like for all the um the marketing was kinda weird for this game. Yeah. And I feel like all the footage I saw, it looked like someone modded sonic into another game like it doesn't match i totally agree yeah um but i think it's really interesting to hear that like the open world was almost the missing piece because i do think there might be something about a lot of 3d sonic that is sort of in this uncanny valley of design where it's like you don't have the like you know, limit of two dimensions, but it's not as open as maybe it should be. So it's sort of this like indecisiveness and in execution. Yeah. I mean, you can feel that even like I, I played Sonic adventure two somewhat recently just for a little bit and like had had a heartbreaking time with it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's like, again, it's very charming and it's very nostalgic, but like it was pretty rough specifically like the Eggman and tails levels are just like, man, that yeah, beeping constantly, yeah. but like, The Sonic and Shadow levels, I think, come pretty close to something. Like, you can tell what the goal was there, and they kind of vary in execution. Like, I actually do think City Escape is a pretty fun level. I know it's like immortalized by the song, but like that level feels good. I think because there is sort of like Tony Hawk. Uh, level design in some moments. So there's mm-hmm. that moment where the like you're going down and, and you know skateboarding down the hill, but then it's like that area where you go underneath like a, a little bridge and it's a little bit more open. Yeah, I, I I think you're onto something with the observation that like it was not that. Sonic wasn't ready for the open world, but that maybe that was like the key to unlocking movement, feeling better for the game.
0: Yeah. Weirdly, I think it's like hardware limitations in that way. Right. Like, like I I, I think, I think tech, weirdly, I think technology wasn't ready for Sonic in 3D yet. (laughs) You know, um, I, I, to be clear, have played a little bit of Sonic Adventure already. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm making my way through the Dreamcast catalog at this point, and I've played some Sonic Adventure. I played like, I don't know, an hour of it at this point. And it's like fun and good, and I'm having a good time with it. Um, it definitely has its struggles here and there. But compared to what I'm experiencing in Sonic Frontiers, which is maybe unfair because it's, you know, almost a 30-year 20 years. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, but compared to sonic frontiers i just feel like this open world aspect wasn't just like oh breath of the wild is popular so let's put sonic and breath of the wild but is actually maybe the thing that makes it work which i think is really interesting and is a cool thread i i hope to see sega and the sonic team continue down the other thing that i'll say about sonic frontiers and i don't this adds to a level of like a cool factor for sonic that i thought was long gone for me but breath of the wild if you've played it has you know a very kind of like whimsical energy to it as you're making your way around the world the like kind of very sparse piano notes that play as the wind blows and you know the the sounds and sights and and just the overall vibe of the world feels i think uh very very like almost heartwarming it's a place you want to hang out the world that you exist in in sonic frontiers feels like almost apathetic to your existence in a way and the the soundtrack that plays in the background of your exploration in this like kind of gray rainy you and i talked about this i think in the past but it kind of has like an almost like stock world unreal engine vibe to it like yeah it, it feels like a demo of what the unreal engine can do kind of when you when you play it or look at it but seeing sonic move around in this space that's like pretty dour and gray and it's like almost always raining and it's playing this like sad music has made me more endeared to the world than I was expecting. There's something there's something about the the like apathy of the island's existence and like the ruined nature of it all that is making me more compelled to explore it and check it out. I haven't I haven't quite put my finger on like what that is yet, but... I will probably play more. Maybe I'll report back on that. Th- that's the thing. I-, I remember seeing this on
1: Twitter a lot, and I and I have to agree with this sentiment. I forgot who said it, but it was- I saw it pop up every now and then, and it was this idea that like a Sonic open world doesn't have to be like a big open plane. That's something that we talk about a lot too. Where it's like going back to what you pull from Breath of the Wild. Like you you can make an open world game that isn't just this big open field or like mountains yeah. and stuff and i feel like for sonic i mean i would love to see an open world game that is like in a big city you know or yeah, like that is in not? sort of like a more fun and colorful setting kind of like a hi-fi rush or something yeah but i mean it sounds that like this game is very much a proof of concept and i hope they kind of play around in this type of sonic game
0: yeah i will <laughs> i forgot about this the, the one thing that i will say that is like like brazen, and they just shouldn't have done it at all. Is they just like lifted Karaks straight up from <laughs> Breath of the Wild. There are these, there are these little guys. I forget what they're called, but they. It also starts with the K. Uh, okay. there are these little guys that look just like Carrots, and they're hanging out all over the world. They're not. You don't have to like solve puzzles to find them, like you do in Breath of the Wild. But they're just hanging out, and you need to find them and collect them, and then give them back to like the elder version of them. And when you do that, he he gives you upgrades. It's like exactly the same as Breath of the Wild. Just like if you had removed that, I would have been like, I get the Breath of the Wild comparisons visually, but you know this game is like going after something and doing something different. But then as soon as you introduce like. Oh, that's just literally car rocks with a different proper noun uh yeah i'm out you know yeah that's uh, like wild hearts having the same skinning animation it's like we get it
1: like you don't yeah. have
0: to why why is this one-to-one exactly exactly yeah, yeah. It, it's just one of those situations where i i wish i could like really go to bat for this not being just like super breath of the wild inspired but clearly it is um yeah but all of that said i i really do think the game is going after its own thing and i i, I think it speaks to me to be a Brighter future for what Sonic can be in 3D. Like it, it, to me, this feels like an aha moment, like a light bulb turn. Yeah,
1: I mean between this and and the murder of Sonic the Hedgehog, it sounds like the series is kind of finding multiple
0: new directions for itself. Multiple voices at once. Yeah, yeah, which, is, which cool. is really cool. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, that that is weirdly uh like end result of Dreamcast homework. uh The game. Yeah. Um, right. Amazing. I guess I'll share what I've been playing on the Dreamcast itself, if you don't mind. Please. Yeah. So I've been playing Marvel vs. Capcom Two. Uh, on the Dreamcast. This is one of my favorite fighting games and uh, I haven't played it in many years. So I was like, also a little nervous be like, is that still true? Was <laughs> it a lie all along? But no, it's it's still incredible. Where did you play it originally? Yeah, so my friend growing up had it on PS2. Mm. So it's worth noting this game was originally in arcades. Then it got brought to the Dreamcast, which was, you know, one of the selling points of the Dreamcast is like, you can play arcade games at home. Mm-hmm. So a lot of arcade games that Sega owned went to the Dreamcast. But then eventually it got also ported to PS2 and like that generation of consoles. So I played it a lot growing up with my friends on ps PS2 and then my one of my friends got a Dreamcast and we played it there as well and then it was also on Xbox Live Arcade in the 360 era and that was around when 3 was out and and Marvel vs Capcom 3 was a big deal like for me at least but it was also like that alongside Street Fighter 4 was like a a very interesting era for fighting games Um, and I remember getting really into 3 but I always just preferred 2's atmosphere and art style so I remember I played 2 a bit online and just got absolutely destroyed because mm-hmm. at that point if you're playing 2 online you're playing against people that had been practicing for over a decade right. even back in the 360 era yeah but I just loved it I, I loved the music I love the art style it's also really surreal to think about this game and play it now and enjoy it still and like this was of a time where like IP collaborations were kind of exciting and not like really <laughs> tiring, you know, like, right. and I think it kind of happened with fighting games first because inherently they are a celebration of character. I just remember like, I, th- I really think Yoda in-, in Soul Calibur was the turning point where it went from like mm. really exciting to like, uh <laughs> I feel a little sick. Yeah. But there is I, I think what really helps with Marvel vs. Capcom is that like the universes of Marvel and Capcom are really complementary. Like if you weren't familiar with all the characters and just saw them all side by side but you do in the game it is sometimes hard to guess who is from what Mm -hmm. there are multiple marvel characters that i assume are from capcom like eventually you you see that it's like all the characters on the right are marvel and left are capcom but growing up i'm like shima gorath is marvel i just assumed (laughs) that was like a (laughs) castlevania villain or something I know it's not Capcom, but you know what I mean? Uh, Yeah. So I think this game, one, embodies like a nostalgia for, for that time when like these types of games were special and rare. Like Kingdom Hearts even, I would say is another example of like, that's so wild that Disney would partner with, Square and Goofy is fighting Sephiroth. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But it's also just like I keep thinking about the conversations around character balance when I play Marvel vs. Capcom 2 because this is a game that is so dedicated to maximalism. Like every match is three verse three there's this jazz soundtrack that is completely disconnected from anything happening visually which i love yeah Um, i
0: booted this game up for like five minutes and i forgot the i forgot what the the character select song was like oh yeah you brought it up in our our bonus episode about video game soundtracks way back when but i i it was like a jump scare to hear that again (laughs) It's the song that plays while you are selecting which Capcom character is going to beat the crap out of which Marvel character.
1: (laughs) But yeah, so I've also been playing a lot like um, the way the game works on like a single player mode is you can play, you know, training or arcade mode, pretty traditional. But the more you play, it, the more you unlock points and then you can spend those points unlocking more characters and stages and different colors for the characters And what's really fun for the Dreamcast is that you can, I mean, I'm not going to do this now, but on the VMU, you can actually trade characters with someone else. It's pretty, it takes a while to unlock everyone because the game starts you off with 24 characters, I think, but there's like twice as many, I believe, and it takes a long time to unlock all of them. Mm -hmm. So the idea that they thought ahead and were like, it'd be fun to like trade who you have with someone else if you want to like really get one character but you know may not have the time for it but uh going back to the character balance thing like everyone is really fun to play as and I'm not super familiar with like the tier lists or whatever to know how the balance is but like I think this game is so dedicated to being over the top and being really fun and they let the characters play as they would. Mm-hmm. I think something we said about Overwatch 2 is that like sometimes when when Blizzard balances Overwatch, they kind of sand the edges off the character and you gotta kinda, kinda lose a sense of identity. Yeah. And in this game, it's like a lot of Jill's moves from Resident Evil are just summoning zombies behind her. Like she looks behind her and looks scared and a zombie comes on screen. Like <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. And I, I think it's like it's really great to especially if you're making like a a uh a game that's played competitively it's crucial to take player feedback and to have a game with with balance in mind but I think you can go too far and sort of erase the fun out of it mm-hmm. I think it's really refreshing to play Marvel's Capcom 2 and just see like the dedication and the design was to make all the characters really fun to play as and to look really cool mm-hmm. and like it sounds very silly and maybe um inadvertently debasing the game like it is really well made but I think it's like I don't know if it was a concern to make Shumagorath as good as Thanos, you know. Like I just think they're like (laughs) they're gonna play like they're gonna play, and and it's maybe it's even more thrilling to get good as a character who is considered to be weak, you know. Like um, that's what I've always loved about. uh, There's a character in Street Fighter named Dan who's like supposed to be like a really bad version of Ryu, right? And getting good as Dan is like one of the best things you can do with your (laughs) with your free time. Um, So I've just I've just really enjoyed playing this it's really reminded me what i love about fighting games and i think you can see a lot of what i'm saying in guilty gear um which i think is like kind of almost a modern example of this style of fighting game where guilty gear also has dedication to balance but like when you read the developer notes whenever they patch that game they're thinking about making sure the characters are fun to play as you know and their their move is generally buffing characters above nerfing them mm-hmm. so like i love that i i love the idea that like, we're just going to make everyone really broken and you're going to have fun with that yeah um so <laughs> it's not as simple as that i know this is like a very complicated thing but i just think it's it's fun to revisit these games and see why they feel so magical um so I, i've been having the best time with it
0: yeah i i think i mentioned this earlier but the the thing i'm most excited about with the dreamcast is getting into a bunch of fighting games and getting into a bunch of racing games because i feel like yeah Both of those arrows were at their peak during that time period like the the dream yeah. games really was like such a such a perfect crystallization of like all the fighting games were just like oh you could just take the arcade fighting game that everybody is obsessed with and put it on a home console cool we'll do that and then racing games I feel like we're in this weird this weird spot where maybe some of the developers thought they were making like photorealistic driving games but a lot of them I think <laughs> understood the limitations of the hardware and almost Wind Waker adjacent made stuff that was really beautiful that still holds up to this day so I'm, I'm just excited to experience both of those things in general.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm curious to see how I feel because I think currently I would say like the best the cream of the crop for fighting games on Dreamcast is, is Third Strike. Yeah. But I feel like there's so many different angles. So between Power Stone, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 and Third Strike, even, those are all three very different approaches. Yeah. You know, you have sort of the like pure chaos of Marvel vs. Capcom. Then you have the more like party game, Smash adjacent. Power Stone, and then Third Strike is like learning an instrument. It's like <laughs> that—that was the one that added a parry mechanic. So it's the skill ceiling of Third Strike is is really wild. Yeah, um, but it's it's awesome. And I again, like, I love the presentation and the music. Something about like the the music and the style of these fighting games is is really
0: near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Marvel vs. Capcom Two. That's it. Uh, it's available now on the Sega Dreamcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh,
1: unfortunately this is also a game that's pretty hard to find for, you know, obvious reasons. I think it's probably a nightmare to like port even. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a blast. My team... Currently is Jill, Chun-Li, and Venom, if you must know. Oh. Venom's attitude in the game is funny. He always goes, hey, whenever he comes in. Really? Which I like. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there was, there was an era of Venom uh, in the comics that was like almost slapstick, which I really appreciate. Uh, yeah, this feels like slapstick Venom. Yeah. For sure. I love slapstick yeah. Venom. Uh, and... Uh, Hey, they've been nailing that with the Tom Hardy movies also.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it feels like full circle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh,
0: Ven- Venom isn't always this big, hulking, scary thing. Sometimes he's just a, a goofball, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, he one of his victory poses as he stands
1: with his arms crossed and the the suit jumps off his back and like taunts
0: the, the loser. Oh, hell yeah. Um, that role is so cool. Yeah. yeah. OK, I'm excited to play this game more. Thanks, Venom. Thanks, Venom. see you soon should we wrap it up
1: yeah let's wrap it up i just (laughs) we've had so many sections in this episode i'm like what's next what do we got next (laughs) i played rugrats on ps1 you want to talk about books we're reading yeah (laughs) (laughs) i actually am i i've been reading chainsaw man oh nice uh which i started a while ago and um i'm on chapter like 35 so i think there's like 90 chapters out right now but uh i started a long time ago and then fell off but i've been pulled back for whatever reason it's it's a it's really wild yeah it's great
0: i watched the first two episodes of the show and i really liked it uh, show's great too uh, that was actually the
1: incentive because i watched a couple episodes with some friends and uh what's cool is like so far at least like again I'm, I'm 30 chapters into the manga and four episodes into the show um the show takes longer on certain beats which i think pays off they definitely treat it like an adaptation where they're they're doing different things with certain scenes in the anime it's great which is awesome. Yeah. Because I, I had that w- with Jujutsu Kaisen, which I also love, which is also like a you know very popular new show. I watched the whole anime and loved it and then started reading the manga. And it's like one to one, which isn't a bad thing, mm-hmm. but it made me less likely to read more of it. Because I'm like, this is even like the throwaway gags are like panel by panel. Yeah. So it's cool to see that level of dedication but I I'll probably end up watching and reading Chainsaw Man because they're doing it a little bit differently. Mm. Um so also reading Delicious and Dungeon which is an incredible
0: manga that I highly recommend.
1: And that's getting an anime I think this year uh which is exciting. Yeah I, th- so. I think you
0: and I are both getting our favorite manga turned into anime this year. You get, yeah. You're getting that and I'm getting I'm getting Blue Box yeah which I'm nice. stoked yeah. about. Uh, I think I think that has the potential if if they take the the Chainsaw Man approach of letting Beats linger longer, that has the the potential of being like a romance masterpiece anime, which I'm yeah. really excited about. Yeah. I'll just I'll sh- while we're talking about books, why not? Uh I'll yeah. shout out a book that I just finished reading and I'm reading the sequel called Vita Nostra, um, which is a uh fantasy, kind of a dark fantasy book uh that was released, I think, in the Ukraine years and years ago and got translated recently. Um, that I truly I don't want to say anything about. Uh just Go in and read it. It's it's pretty dark, just a heads up. It gets into some like pretty troubling themes. Uh, but if you liked Lev Grossman's The Magicians, then this is a book for you. Also, it has elements of like House of Leaves and stuff. I mean, it, it's like, it gets really bizarre. It it does my favorite thing in any media, which is the more of it I read, the less unhooked from reality I felt like I was. Like, I feel like the book made me dissociate um, yeah. in a good way. So Check out Vita Nosha. It's really good. It's a very cool book. I'm so dreamcastified that when you said house of my
1: brain went the dead. Like this immediately. (laughs) I was like house of the dead. It's
0: almost exactly like typing of the
1: dead. (laughs) But as a book, it's really interesting. Why read books when you can type them out and typing of the dead? Yeah, you can make your own books. Did you know that? (laughs) They have this cool
0: thing called Google
1: Docs. (laughs) Thank you for listening into the cast (laughs) that online is your place for everything relating to the show. If you like the show, you can share with a friend, review us on Spotify or Apple podcasts. If you really like us, you can support us on Patreon. I don't know if we have a hard date set yet, but we did record everything uh, for the Dreamcast prep episode with Chris Plant. I'm really, really happy with how that episode came out. So that should be shared, I think by the end of the month, right? Probably. Yeah. For patrons. Also, we had to reschedule when we're recording the Metroid prime bonus so thank you for your patience with that. That's I think we're recording that next week. We wanted to give ourselves a bit more time, me specifically, to finish the game because... You know, we it's case by case when we like feel we need to finish something for an episode or for a bonus. Um, and in the case of Metroid Prime, it just felt like it, it will be better to have finished this even if the episode is a week later. Yeah, we, um, we acted
0: so, under the assumption initially that we weren't going to finish the game. And then I think the further into the month we got, we were like, oh, we really should. This it, yeah, it's too good.
1: I got thermal vision and I'm like, I can't I can't stop. You can't stop I here. Need to keep yeah. Going. What are the other yeah. visions, Steven? You got to find out. But uh, I'm really looking forward to recording that episode with you. I think we've been pretty good about sometimes like we're so excited to talk about a game. We like ruin like we say too much <laughs> before we record. In this case, I think we've done a pretty good job keeping it all in. Yeah. So that's on the horizon for us. Uh, we also have obviously Any% Percent is is ongoing. Uh, I just want to say real quick, I'm really, really pleased with the positive feedback for Any%. Percent. I'm glad that seems to be connecting with people. It's a lot of fun to make and you know, in conversations about sustainability, it's, it's really easy for us to keep that up. So I'm glad that it's connecting with people. Um, so thank you for those who are able to support the Patreon to get that. And uh, yeah, we have some other things in the works, but that's all for right now. Like what? What, are, what else are we recording today, Steven? Oh, that's, <laughs> that's right. Uh, I, speaking of finishing games, I did finally finish the Resident Evil 4 remake, so we thought we would record a spoiler discussion about that game for patrons. Um, so that will be, recorded today and then uploaded at some point soon yeah so a lot a lot of stuff on the horizon that might even Patriot. be out by the
0: time this episode's out I, I imagine yeah I, I have to assume that's not gonna be a very long conversation Um, I think I think that's more just like you and I just wanted to talk about it so it'll just be like segment length so that'll probably be out soon and uh, I think I think that's basically
1: it anything else on
0: your end Uh, no no Uh, into the cast at online wavelengths.online that's right and uh, oh I'll, I'll give one quick shout out uh, at the end here at the very end because it's not out yet but um, our friend of the show Kyle star has a new show called why button which is great um and i'm on the second episode which comes out tomorrow oh hell yeah as of the time of this episode coming out so this episode comes out on wednesday my episode of why button will be out on thursday um i'll put the link in the show notes and i'll probably shout that out at the top of next week's episode or something um when it's actually officially out because i don't think it's been announced yet but here it is a leak it is hard to deal with time and recording it's like
1: yeah anyway um <laughs> I just thought what was the last line of the last episode of today either? It's hard to deal with time. it is. Um on that note, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye everybody. goodbye.